All right, it's August 1st at the time of this recording. Welcome to the TetraCast. I'm Brian Vitali. Joining me today are George Foster. Hello, everyone. Happy August. Adam Vitali. Hey, guys. And James Galizio. Is it really August? God. <laughs> uh, yeah, August I always kind of think of as the uh, like the last month of summer, even though it's really kind of like the halfway point. But, you know, this is a normally we'd be, you know, having the sports seasons ramping back up and school starting. But of course, that's not all, you know, set in stone right now on any on any front, depending on where you live. Uh, yeah. Compared to last week, this week is way quieter. It's like everyone just wanted to, like, dump off everything within a seven day span. And now, like, there really wasn't much of an aftershock. We had a little bit of, like, follow up uh, from uh Microsoft on the Halo front in terms of Halo's uh, long rumored like multiplayer being free was confirmed and also with a Battletoads <laughs> reveal. I don't know if anyone's interested in that. And then we've Actually, got, you know, it looks sick. Yeah, it looks kind of it looks uh I don't know if yeah. charming's the right word, but it looks uh looks weird. My favorite word. thing about the Battletoads thing is that rare in their like Twitter comments basically reference the GameStop meme about Battletoads. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and then we there are rumors about a new state of play on Sony's side and another showing on Xbox side in August, but I don't know if any of that's been nailed down. But we have a few things to talk about, and we'll be talking about a few games that have released recently on the indie front. So this is just going to be one of those weeks. Uh, how about uh, George and James start first with what you guys played uh, a couple days ago? That we did cover on the website. Uh, yeah, awesome. Um, so last week, you might recall, I said that I was very excited for Grounded, Obsidian's next game, and rightfully so, because Grounded is really, really awesome. Unless you hate spiders, in which case it is probably the worst game in the world. Because holy crap, are they some scary spiders. Like, I we, we played it online, James and I, and... We, the, uh, it was called an orb weaver I think it was called and they're like the big behemoth of the land I don't think that's even the biggest spider that you can fight in the game but there's this thing called an orb weaver and as it was chasing me I was like physically literally in my room like kicking away at the screen like the spiders are that freaky and lifelike and terrifying and ugh. yeah it the- has, a, has a mode to like turn them into blobs though right yeah well, see, this is the thing. I was I was telling someone about this at work. I was like, it's really cool that that's in there, but it, it kind of like the work and effort that's gone into making the spiders scary and being these like big formidable opponents. Like, it feels almost disrespectful to turn it off. And that's someone like I am terrified of spiders, but I still sort of feel like that's part of the fun. I'd be like playing something like Slender and like turn off the Slender Man, you know. You gotta have. I think you gotta have some of that fear. Uh, if I can talk about my thoughts on the game, since obviously George put up a, an impressions piece on the site itself, I really do think, especially even especially like with how early the state the game's in, there's a lot of really interesting mechanics that they really like. The Honey, I Shrunk the Kids sort of deal, where you're small, literally the size of ants isn't just an aesthetic and the game smartly uses it in some of its gameplay aspects. One of the things that really stood out to me was how um, blades of grass 
you can actually see them rustle in the distance if a particularly large insect is moving through them. Which most of like, hopefully it's just something like a ladybug that won't attack you. But if it's a giant spider, like, um, I don't think we ran into it in our multiplayer session. But when I was playing, I ran into a wolf spider, which is even like twice the size of the orb weaver. It's terrifying. <laughs> and it literally roams the map and the only way you can kind of be warned that's around is if you're paying attention to the blades of grass in the distance like on your periphery of your vision and seeing a bunch of grass like moving around as the spider is moving through it it's uh really fascinating um again early access so there's still a bunch to uh be added to the game but uh, the game seems to be blowing up. Seems to be doing very well. Uh, I some think people, some uh, people have cynically said that it's like streamer bait, but I think it's just kind of like a fun game to watch other people play, especially if they're kind of uh, spooked. As long as you know that they're, you know, willingly doing it. Passion points of the game that just call it streamer bait. That's yeah. People saying that obviously yeah. haven't given it a, a real shot, and I mean, it's not like they have an excuse not to. Like Game Pass is super cheap. You can obviously just pay like. If you're on PC and you haven't tried it, one buck, one dollar, and you can try it on PC. Now, this game has a weird, uh, obviously, it's an Obsidian title, which normally is, you know, right in our wheelhouse. And in late 2019, um, yeah, 2019, Obsidian contacted RPG site to come out and cover a, at the time, mystery game. And this is a year after The Outer Worlds was announced at 2018, uh, late in the year at the Game Awards. So we're like, what are they following up on the year after? Is it just DLC? Is it something different? You know, and then of course, everyone was wondering if that was going to be their big Microsoft game reveal, but it seemed kind of early for it. And then we went in and it was grounded. And I'll be honest, when when we had the press there and we first saw it, we were like all kind of like, I don't want to say underwhelmed, but we're like, this isn't this is this isn't an Obsidian game. Like, what is this? This is weird. Um, but and I think. We, we kind of saw that same sort of feedback when they revealed it at the like XO19 late last year. Yeah. So it's, I think it's to, to have kind of grown out of that shadow where people were like, I think it was smart of Obsidian to announce Avowed recent, before this game launched. Yeah, so, you know, okay, there's, yeah, there's that big Obsidian RPG project that's, you know, in development. Meanwhile, you have this little passion project made by like a dozen people, you know, and it's out right now and you can try it for, for, for not for free. You can try it for cheap on early access. Personally, like this is this is probably going to be well, if anyone cares enough to be considered controversial, I consider a finished grounded more exciting than a vowed. Like, don't, don't shoot me, but I really, really, really like what grounded is going for. Well, okay, we don't know enough about Vald, so yeah, was, maybe that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, random, random CG trailers that promise something cool, like that doesn't do anything for me. Awesome little early access projects that show that this is like a it has some really cool mechanics that does do something for me. Uh, I would say if, if you can't make your own fun, you're gonna struggle grounded after the first couple of hours, so you do get objectives from this robotic assistant called Burgle uh, but they're very generic it's like kill five of these enemies do this do that and like that that's fair enough it is early access but 
even I, even knowing it was early access, by the time you get like an hour or hour and a half in, it says, oh, that's all the story content done. Like, we can't wait for you to see more. I was a bit like, holy crap. Like, they are really going for this the sandboxy element of it at the moment. So when I, when I was uh, talking to them late last year, I asked them, uh, I forget his name, Robbie something was one of the developers on the game. The, the, the director is Adam Bernanke. Uh, and there I asked him like what the inspiration was and what they've been playing. Because when I think survival games, I think like Rust or Ark. I don't know much about them other than uh, I have watched people play them. I've never really played them myself. But then they said that most of the people on the team had played The Forest. I don't know if anyone knows much about it. And then they just kind of decided, we want to make a game like this. So some people are like, oh, this is just Microsoft trying to make a, you know, a service title for their for the Game Pass. And it's like, this this game started out development before, before the acquisition. Pod, yeah. Now, maybe the reason why the project was kept alive was because they saw that it was a good fit for Game Pass. I'm not going to pretend to know what they were thinking, but it, it is a team of like a dozen people working on, you know, something that they wanted to work on. So I think that is always something that's easy to kind of support and, you know, yeah. throw your weight behind. And as like an early access title, when I when I hear that phrase, I kind of shudder. I'm like, oh God, 10 frames a second, bugs everywhere. Well, in this case, literally bugs everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it ran pretty stable the whole time. I only ran into like a few like little issues here and there. So for early access, I think, I think they've done a really good job. I will say, kind of uh, jumping off that, that uh, one of the problems I had with Outer Worlds was that the game's optimization on AMD GPUs was pretty poor. And I've definitely noticed the same issue with uh, uh, Grounded, which I believe is also an Unreal Engine 4 game, so it makes sense. But um, obviously on Xbox, that's not an issue. And obviously for most people on PC, you're probably have an NVIDIA GPU going off a of market share. So probably not an issue for you either. Just something to keep in mind that like uh, my Vega 56 was pretty much only good for 1080p high settings. Uh, whereas my laptop with a 1660 Ti was good for uh, 1080p max settings. No problem. The game does look really nice, I think. The lighting in the game is really well done. And the way that the... Yeah, I mean, it's obviously not a technically impressive game, really, but there are aspects of it that do look really nice. And honestly, I don't think there's anything that I'd specifically point to and say, this visually needs to be better. Like, this is already, like, really good art style and pretty decent uh, fidelity and whatnot. Yeah, I, I would actually argue the opposite. Maybe I'm I'm being kind of... Uh... Maybe I'm missing something here, but I feel like the way that Grounded does all of, like all of the blades of grass being able to be cut down real time, and the way you can run across all of them, like I, I think that's kind of like, technically impressive. Like I, I don't know. I think especially for the amount of people developing it, I think it's like a it really did impress me. Right. If you had seen corners being cut, you would have been like. Well, it's, you know, it's a small team, you know, you got to expect some constraints, but it's almost the opposite where you're like, they did all this despite having only a very small team. So it's, it's impressive on if, when you know, going in, like how much manpower there is behind it. Yeah. I just, I just wish it wasn't early access. Like 
I, I'm glad that it's got the traction it has because it's early access, and I think that's going to help the game in the long run. But I, I can't pretend I wasn't a bit bummed that after like a couple of hours, I'd felt like I'd kind of siphoned all the fun that I was going to have out of it. I need one one game that I've played a bit of early access was um, Deep Rock Galactic. It's like a four player co-op, almost Left for Dead sort of game. Only you play as like dwarves in space. Yes. Uh, and the weird thing about that is that I feel like this is my impression. I don't know like how much actual traction it's gotten. I feel like it had a lot of good word of mouth when it was early access. And it was in early access for like over a year. And it was updated constantly, like every month. And by the way, Grounded, they recently announced on the Twitter page that it's going to have monthly updates. Uh, and then Deep Rock, Deep Rock Galactic ended up finally like releasing earlier this year in like February. It got, you know, it's 1.0 release. And I almost feel like, at least for me personally, by that point, I had kind of already had my fill. I, like I'd played it in early access. And then it, when it released, I'm like, nah, I've had enough. So I wonder like how much of an actual like mindset like is that a mindset a lot of people have is there an is there any possibility that when this game finally does release it'll have been too long in the tooth to have like dropped interest i don't necessarily think that's the case because subnautica was in early access for who knows how long and it feels like it's still very popular nowadays Hmm. well okay maybe that was just me trying to extrapolate my personal experience of the one game and then I, i i think i'm definitely cynical enough to say that like maybe you have a point because the idea of like oh okay like you can play this bit of grounded now so yeah so grounded's kind of an interesting game it's not really one that we're planned on really covering well we went we like i said we went out to obsidian to cover a mystery game and then ended up being grounded and then we weren't sure we were going to cover it and then george decided to throw up a little feature anyway we kind of put it under our branching path banner which is kind of something we use infrequently to talk about anything that's not really an rpg and this one, it's kind of like, it's it's understandable why this one kind of got grandfathered in, in a weird sense. But yeah, we've got that feature up, thanks to George. And I don't know when I, if I plan on, you know, diving in myself, but it is on uh, Game Pass for PC. So I literally can try it whenever. I, I could have sworn I saw you playing it, like, just the other day. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I hadn't loaded. I haven't installed it, so it must have been someone else. So Adam, for you, like, what have you been playing over the last seven days? Yeah, so earlier this week, I put up a review for an indie tactical RPG called Other Side. That's being pretty much the one game I played that I'll talk about here. So where do I begin on this one? So Other Side is an indie RPG. It's from a French studio called Lightbulb Crew, and it's published by Focus Home Interactive, who is also French. And so this RPG, it sticks out in a way because it has a very striking art style. It's pretty much monochromatic, black and white, with red accents, which I know is maybe not like incredibly unique. That's uh, not a you know a rare combination. I, I, of, I, I feel but, like I've seen that in some other game, but I can't put my finger on it. Yeah, but it's got that art style. Um, it's sort of anime inspired. Uh, and they stated this, stated as such on their like developing developer videos. Um, it, it's a tactical RPG, but it's also very strongly a roguelike game, which I found it kind of amusing that in the trailers up to launch, they sort of 
it felt like they were kind of hesitant to confirm or admit that it was a roguelike because maybe people don't some people kind of bristle at the thought that games could be roguelikes but anyways so this game the premise of other side is that first of all before i talk about the premise let me just say that like it tells its story in a very vague kind of like uh obscured way it's not very straightforward and i don't mean that like it's confusing it's more that it's it it does not want to be direct in how it's telling the story you you sort of kind of are just dropped into the middle of things and you kind of have to figure things out as you go um but what it is i I hate to i hate to evoke this but like dark souls (laughs) well maybe but like you're you you're dropped into this world where it's sort of like this so again, the game is black and white. So imagine that. And you're dropped into this like sort of abandoned city hellscape sort of place. And you are a character known as the mother. And that's the only thing you're known as. And you're fighting these like nightmarish creatures with like really long, skinny, bony arms and creepy necks. And they're kind of like contorted in ways. And um, you have to kill these creatures. And the mother throughout all of this is saying things like, I have to save the child from suffering. And the child is capitalized. Suffering is capitalized as a suffering is a, like a physically manifested demon thing that's out there that is kind of holding this child hostage in a way. But at the beginning of the game, the mother falls, she dies um, to these nightmare creatures. And then she has the ability to basically give birth, not like physically, but manifest these daughters that fight for her. And she can make like a limitless amount of them. And these daughters are your party in a way. So basically the game structure is you are given a set of daughters and there's three different classes they can be. And they pretty much boil down to your attack class, your range slash um, support class and your defense class. And then you basically go through like a series of missions, like five or six missions in each chapter. They're not called chapters, but basically chunks of the game. And um, these missions break down in terms of like there's hunt missions, which is basically just kill all the enemies. There's survival missions, which is basically survive long enough and then get to the exit before you get killed. Um, There's rescue missions, which is basically escort an NPC across the map and so on. So, and then once you've done five or six of these, then you can fight a boss. And then the first time you fight the first boss, you are probably going to die. It's a pretty tough game, but it's also a roguelike, remember. So this is sort of intended structure. So you fight the boss. The first boss is a known as the, the doctor, I think, or something like that. But if you don't know what you're doing, these bosses can really uh, kind of clown you. They're, they're kind of like these puzzly tactical boss bosses that you're supposed to encounter. You're supposed to take them on in very specific ways. But if you die, this game does have persistent elements. There are, there's like a various, it's sort of like an in-game achievement system where if you've killed so many enemies or done the sort of these sorts of things in the game, you unlock bonuses. And these bonuses are things like your, your daughters have more HP or um, they do more damage to certain types of enemies or things like that. And those, once you unlock them, you basically have, you keep them forever. 
And that's kind of your persistent element. Like, okay, so the next time I call, go through this game, my team is more capable. I can get through it faster and so on. Is that is the loop of the roguelite structure built into the narrative at all? Like, does it explain why you fail, but just restart? Or is it just like you bring a new set of daughters along? Or what? is it? how does it all the, like... The, how- it's it's sort of a this is kind of a bad example, but it's it's well I'll just say it, the game is sort of a recollection is what they call it. It's like a memory of an event that happened, and basically I, the way it sort of frames it is that um, if you fail, it's like wait that's not what happened, and then oh. it goes back to the beginning. Here's oh, what I actually like happened. That. I like that. Uh, so um, they they're called recollections. So it's it's a pretty um remember that this is an indie game so it's kind of smaller scale and each map that you take on is kind of if you're if you're thinking like Final Fantasy tactics it's not that it's there's these smaller scale maps you can usually only bring like three or four characters into each map and you're usually taking on like eight to 12 enemies um so they're they're kind of smaller scale uh maps you do them repetitive uh, repeatedly and of course, if you die, you do you have to do even more repetitions. So it is a little bit repetitive in a way. Um, and none of the maps are like bespoke because they the procedurally either, generated. They're, well, they're not that either. Like there are sometimes you'll run into the same exact map oh, as before. It's, but it, it's like a shuffle it's, pool it, of maps. Yeah, it's like maps that are drawn out of a hat, if you will, and you just pick one and do it. But it's not like a storyline that progresses through each each of these battles. And then um, once you beat the first boss, you basically do that five times over, and then you beat the game sort of thing. So, but it's got a pretty, like the direct tactical combat that this game has is pretty good. Um, it, there's a pretty good mix of like, uh, you want to do damage in certain ways um, to certain enemies, there's some enemies that are um, that are kind of are more focused on like staying at a distance and sort of annoying you, and you kind of have to like you can't just turtle up and attack enemies as they come to you as you can. And some are uh, strategies are strategy RPGs. You usually are kind of forced to take one of your characters and kind of go out to get the ranged enemies that are kind of pestering you from a distance. There's interrupt skills where if an attack or if an enemy attacks. You can basically interrupt the attack and do damage or some status attack back to them. Oh, I actually kind of didn't mention one of the key elements of this game. Um, it is not completely like turn-based, as in how most tactical RPGs are turn-based. What it is, it's actually got a timeline system. I, I don't think any of you have played this. Have any of you played Grandia? I don't think no. so. I've heard okay. of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, good job. So, so uh I'm assuming some of our listeners have played Grandia. So it's basically a timeline. And when it's someone's turn, you'll see it on this timeline. And then it, it slowly moves towards basically the end of the timeline. And that's where you, where you act. And so what this, what this effectively means is that there is space that happens in between turns. And then you can shuffle and move turns up and down the timeline. And it's not just rigidly my turn first and your turn second and his turn third sort of thing. It's actually like my turn's coming up right away and then the, ne- the next turn after that's not happening for you know quite a while yet sort of thing so there's actually like spacing that happens in between turns um and that that, that all that actually that all direct 
tactical timeline combat, I think actually works pretty well in terms of um, basically incorporating this this system in place where when people attack or get get the chance to act is is done pretty well. What I think is not done so well are some of the supporting systems in the games just don't seem to be greatly balanced. And what I mean by that is there's a currency in the game known as Vitae. And this is the currency that allows you to both create new daughters and to basically attach accessories to your daughters to make to improve their stats and whatnot. But the thing is, like, you get so much of this that it's like even from the very beginning of the game, you pretty much never have to pay attention to it because you just always have way more than you need. Also, there's really no point in like actually giving birth to new daughters because they're they're always going to be well behind the rest of your daughters that you've been working with. And it's kind of weird how much emphasis the game kind of places on this. Like you're able to create new units at any time, but they're kind of like, why would you ever do this? It feels I like- I feel like a lot of tactical RPGs struggle with that. I don't know how many different- Where systems don't really synergize. Well, where it's almost like you're incentivized just to make a core team of like three, four, five, six units and never really go out of your way to- to try different classes or different creatures or however the game is set up because they're always so far behind. And then like, well, I'll just use what I know and what's already working well. Exactly. Um, well, another, another element this game has that it was really highly emphasized in things like the trailers was that um, your, first of all, you cannot heal your characters um, in a traditional way. Um, being a roguelike, it sort of makes sense that they had to sort of change this up because if you could just heal everyone so easily, you'd probably never run into a game over. Um, so how you heal a character is if, if, a, if one of your units gets weak, uh, the only way you can heal them is if you sacrifice another character to heal them. But the thing is that the other character has to be the same level or higher. Oh, uh, so you can't so, just have a bunch of like people on the bench just waiting to line up to, to, yeah. to, to off themselves to heal the rest of your team. And I don't think this works fully greatly either for the similar reasons is that if you have like a level eight daughter and they're weak, it's like, oh, wow, they're going to die soon. Um, you have to have another level eight or higher daughter to heal them, but chances are they're probably a pretty good unit too. So it's not like you're like, oh, well, my one good character is about to die. Let me just sacrifice my other good character to heal the other, you know? Um, and there's also the thing that's also weird about this is that there are, there is a way to revive characters and the game makes it seem like this is a really rare thing that it's, it's you have to get this coin that you have to find in the game to, to revive a character. But the thing is, is like, they're not nearly as rare as the game makes it seem like they should be. So I ended up basically kind of stockpiling these coins. So if a character ever got weak or died or you, or you sacrificed someone or whatever, you could just pop them right back up. Um, and you can't revive in the middle of battle. So if you're losing to a boss or whatever, you can't just keep reviving. But like in between missions, if a character died, it's pretty easy just to pop them right back up. So that was also an incentive basically not to use new characters or other characters. Just kind of stick with the same core set of three or four characters. And if one of them happens to die, like, oh, I can just pop them right back up and use them in, in the next battle. So the, the sacrificing element, the birthing element to this game um the the v-day currency it just kind of seemed like a lot of it's like i didn't really have to really mess with this or i sort of used it in a way that didn't feel like the intended way to use it um 
I just kind of kept with the same group of characters. And also, when you uh, when you when you do the roguelike loop and go to the next lap, those characters you were just using, you can uh, revive them as well. Uh, how many you can revive increases as you basically do more and more more and more loops. But still, it was like for the most part, I was kind of just sticking with the same team the whole time, which kind of felt like it was contrary to what the game was trying to have me do. So basically, I feel like it's got a really great art style. This game, uh, or it's at least striking in a way that it it sticks out. It's like oh, that you know, it's it's a type of game where you can't really um, confuse it with another game because it, it's pretty unique. Uh, it's got the core tactical combat for it is pretty great. Um, I mentioned briefly how bosses are like these tactical puzzles, and I think it was actually pretty well done. They're they're not just HP sponges or whatever. They have these certain patterns to attacks um, and buffs and things like that, where you want to attack them at certain times in certain ways in order to take to take them out. Um, so I thought that was pretty good. But just a lot of the other supporting systems. Some just of it, it's like just the supporting stuff, sense. right? Did, didn't really seem to synergize very well. It's just kind of like, you know, I don't need to engage with the system or the system I'm just sort of exploiting in a way that kind of, I think, undermines it. So what's your I final also, like, verdict? Like, if you were to, like, would you suggest someone, if someone was I, wanting to play a tactical game, would, would you suggest this or no? Um, first of all, I would say when I played it, it was pretty buggy. Um, so maybe give them a couple months to polish it up a bit. And they've already, they've already done a patch, which polished up some of the issues I, I had. So that was pretty quick. Um, but my, my, my primary verdict on this game is that it's more innovative, innovative than, than what, than it, it innovates more than it executes. So it's, it's basically something new and different. Um, you have to, you have to have some affinity for roguelikes if you're going to like it at all, if you, if you don't like it. Don't play it because it's definitely very got, got that roguelike structure built into it. Um, but if you need something that's really highly polished or executes perfectly, um, it's not that. But if you want to see, if you want a game that you know is a little bit different than other tactical RPGs you played, and uh, try something, try something just a little bit unique and on its own. Maybe I would, more, I would maybe more it. interesting than good. Perhaps. But yeah, it seems like a kind of a stylish game. Just doesn't have the substance to back it up. But yeah, thanks for sharing that with us. And uh, maybe we'll see it on our casual mode series. We'll yeah, see. maybe. We're not entirely sure yet. <laughs> yeah, and the reason why I'm doing that is because I'm segueing to what I've played over the last seven days. Is something that we did uh, put up on our YouTube channel. And Adam and James are going to have a little bit of deja vu because I played... Fate Tactics, which is another tactical indie game that released like within the week from other side. Uh, and while you had a couple like hesitations about other side in terms of things you don't think it did well, I actually really think that Fate Tactics does a lot of things really well, and I'm really enjoying it quite a bit. Um, it's very much in the vein of like a Final Fantasy Tactics Advance in terms of its art style and like how colorful it is and how, like how much fantasy elements it incorporates into its story and things like that. Uh, but what I really appreciate, so I've played two tactical games kind of back to back. I played fell seal arbiters mark, and then I played fate tactics. They're both kind of in the vein of very small indie studios trying to say, we want 
to make more games like you know the Final Fantasy Tactics games that we played in our youth. And here they are, you know, I think one is like a three man team, one's a two man team with like an artist and a and a you know someone they hired on to, to do the music. But one thing that I thought that Fell Seal Arbiter's Mark did was that it was almost too beholden to its inspiration. It plays very much like a Final Fantasy Tactics copycat in terms of how the classes work, in terms of how the battles work. And it's just kind of like, yeah, if you want more of that, it's 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 a fine game. But one thing that I really appreciate from Fate Tactics is how different it is in terms of it doesn't have classes, but instead you have leaders and the leader units are basically like your party members and they each have different weapons or different elements or different ways that they support other units in the battlefield. And then in addition to your leaders, you summon uh, monsters or fae, basically fairy tale creatures, <laughs> to put it bluntly. And these can be like, you know, they can be like harpies, which do more like uh, status elements, or they can be like healers, or they can do like, they can be like phoenixes, which do a lot of like fire elemental damage. And I just think it's really cool because normally when a game like the Final Fantasy Tactics has any sort of like monster breeding, I always felt like I never wanted to use them because they aren't really bespoke written characters. I'd rather just use normal characters, quote unquote. But here it's like you always get half of one and 50% of the other. You have three leaders and three monsters up to on the field at any one time. So basically it's set up in a way where you're very, very much incentivized to change up what you're bringing. So the game has a system where a lot of things are determined by elemental affinity. So you have your typical elements of like fire, water, grass, wind, ice, and arcane. And how it works is that it's it's kind of like Pokemon in terms of like elemental advantages, though not quite as neat and tidy. Like something that is strong if for instance water is strong against fire but fire is normal against water like it's not always like a strength in one direction is not always a weakness in the other uh so it's almost something that's kind of hard to memorize but luckily from a keystroke or a button press you can always bring up like the type advantage table at any point and the reason why that's so useful is because you're very much encouraged whenever you go into a battle to look over okay most of the enemies are or fire type or a water type, I should change up who, my, who I'm bringing to, to give myself the best advantage here. So unlike so, other side, go ahead. So like how many, uh, how many like monsters do you get? Like, you, I know you bring three into a battle, but do you, I, I guess I'm trying to think of like, how many are you going to have like on your rotation? You, you, you get one of each type of monster. It's like, imagine Pokemon where once you catch a Growlithe, you can never catch another Growlithe. You just train up your Growlithe. So it's like you can catch one of each type of monster. And once you have it, you can level it up. You can bring it with you. Uh, and I think there's like three, 36, three dozen or so. And sometimes it's two monsters like of, of the same monster type, but different variants. Like, for instance, a fire-type phoenix is called a phoenix, but a lightning-type phoenix is called a rock, like ROC. And you can only bring one. Like, you basically, you're, you're telling it which flavor you want. Um, the, it's just really... And unlike other side, what I was getting at is that you can't really just say, I'm going to pick my favorite two or three monsters and always bring them because there's going to be battles where they have a complete disadvantage with what you're fighting and you're going to want to change it up and... Sometimes there are some battle objectives that require playing more defensively, and there's some that require you to cover a lot of distance in a short amount of time, so you want to pick a faster monster, things like that. 
Luckily, the game does, it is pretty generous in terms of giving your passive units some EXP. Not not the 100%, but you cannot use a monster. Like, let's say you have a, um, uh, an, there's like an ice bunny sort of monster that is like a support unit. And I never used him for a long time. But then there, then I was uh, doing a uh, a battle against a lot of grass creatures and grass was weak to ice. So I used him. And he was a little bit behind, but you gain like the EXP is like exponential in terms of catching people up, kind of like um, the uh, Falcom games, where if someone's ten levels behind, you you kind of bring them along for just a short amount of time and they catch up quick. Uh, as for the story itself, it's very much kind of like Saturday morning cartoon, sort of um, lighthearted, but has some serious moments. It's 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 a good balance between trying to be too serious, but also not being so whimsical that you just feel like it has no edge at all, or it just feels like you know jelly pudding or something. So it it does a nice balance of it starts out really lighthearted. I would say like the very the first like hour with the game, if you think that it's really kind of saccharine and sappy and you know sugar or sugary or whatever. Uh, keep playing a bit because it does kind of eventually ramp up in terms of the stakes, the uh, not not just the story stakes, but like how the battles play out, how interesting it gets, how involved it, it ends up being. So, and that's also definitely, the... definitely in contrast to other side or other side, it doesn't have like any sort of it doesn't really have any sort of ramp up or like, you know, progression, both story and mechanics. It's kind of yeah, you, your characters get stronger as you go through, but the, the the flow of the game is pretty much just like steady the whole way through. Or what it you're is saying what it is, for, as soon as you see tactics, it. or what you're saying for fate tactics is you know just ramping up both mechanically and narratively. So yeah, yeah, and then uh, it kind of goes into like that very typical. JRPG formula where you have to like cat you collect the uh collect the crystals of each element or whatever. But it does it in a way where it it doesn't feel like it's just segmented into like, for instance, like we were talking about Paper Mario last week, and it's the five colored streamers, and each one has like a theme behind it. It's not like you'd go to the earth area and get the earth gem, and then you fight the the, the grass area and get the grass gem. It's really like divvied up in terms of what's the story behind uh each crystal and uh, for instance there one of the characters you get in your party is a centaur and she's like the younger daughter of the centaur princess sorry the younger sister of the centaur princess and basically there's actually quite a bit of cool like sociological interplay where it's like centaurs are not like humans they don't marry based on love that all of their marriages are arranged and then the uh the princess of the centaur tribe was supposed to marry and as part of the wedding vows they had like a, a a stone necklace that had a crystal like imbued in it and that crystal ends up being one of the uh ones that you have to collect and like the other ones end up like one of them is in a is in a uh kind of in a weapon that's used to defend uh like a city that's very much like an isolationist and they have this giant cannon and it, the cannon kind of comes into play for the gameplay as well. But the idea is, is that it's being powered by this crystal. So each one is kind of used in a different way. And for, for some, also, it's purely... Go ahead. When you were playing this game, um, I don't know if you... I don't think you mentioned it here yet. Uh, 
but it's not like a linear A to B story at all times. It, you could like branch out and go in different directions at different times. Like it was sort of like this non-linear structure. Is that just for like side quest stuff or does it sort of just which crystal you're going for or whatever? Is that also sort of just in whatever order you happen to take on? It's it's very non-linear, even, even towards the end and even like the main quest. It's, you might, and how do I word this? You might learn like, oh, we have to figure out there's people missing from the city and they they went to the, the Black Marsh. We should head there. But also we heard something about the uh, uh, a storage location and located deep in the mines that we think thieves are operating out of. And you, then you can go to either place. And it kind of fans out where it's never that you just have two options or even three options. Usually by the time you're like five hours into this game, you'll have like five or six options of where to go. And I learned recently that sometimes you'll even pick a random map that the game doesn't even tell you has anything going on in it. And you'll, you, you can just load up a random map. I was completely anticipating just to do a normal battle, just like a to, to level my team up and end up also having uh, a little side story relevance to it with a side character attached. So it's very much, and that's also where I think this game is better than Felseal. Felseal is very A to B to C to D, just kind of go in order with a very, very few branch outs to do some side quests. Where here it almost feels like the design of the game is to be as open-ended as possible while, while still funneling you to a point at the end. I bet you you could get, I can't, I can't confirm this for certain, but I bet you you can get all four of the crystals in any order. I don't, if it's not any order, it's probably a lot of different ways you can do it. So anyways, if you want to see more about this, I am planning on writing a review for it. It's spoiler. It's I'm, I do think pretty highly of it. I do think it's a very interesting and innovative game. And also, it's got the substance to back it up. It has some really cool mechanics with the with the monster systems, with the elemental play, uh, with the with the way the maps are designed, with the the cool little like wrinkles that it throws in, like that cannon feature I was talking about, where it'll it'll basically show where the cannon's firing uh, across the whole map, and you have to try to avoid it while also trying to keep your team, you know, engaged to the enemy. It's and then we also have the hour of gameplay on the YouTube channel where you'll hear me kind of talk or you'll, you'll be able to see the things that I'm talking about. So I really won't go on too much longer because if you want to hear more, it's right there if you want it. And if you don't, we can move on to something else. But yeah, Fate Tactics, it just came out on Steam and it will come out on Switch uh, at some point. We don't know. All right. Yeah, you're the last uh, one to go, James. So uh, yeah, what do you um... have to wrap this up? I played a kind of a medley of games this week, not really too deeply on any one specific game. Well, actually, that's a lie. I've been grinding out uh, crowns and Monster Hunter World for the Platinum Trophy on PS4 to kind of put a pin in that save file, but not going to talk about that. Yeah, um, you're a madman. I, I could never bother with crowns on that game. Crowns away from that Platinum Trophy. Only eight. Yeah. But, um... Like I was kind of talking about with George before we started recording, surprisingly enough, I was using my Xbox One quite a bit this week. Um, main reason being, well, I'll talk about the main game I played on it a little bit later, but um, one that I just played uh, a couple of days ago when it came out on Game Pass was The Tourist, which is interesting for a number of reasons, because one... Uh, it's can you say that again? What was it? The oh, uh, The Tourist. All right. 
which is interesting for a number of reasons. Uh, the number one reason would be that um, it's developed by Shinan Media, or some, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but um, they're most well known for essentially making games for Nintendo platforms only. Because I remember that they they did like 3DS eShop games, they did Wii U eShop games, they did usually they have like launch titles for Nintendo digital storefronts. Like Fast RMX was a Nintendo. Yeah, I was going to say they do, they do a racing game, right? Yeah. So the tourist is interesting because it's an adventure game kind of slash 3d platformer. And I say adventure game because it's kind of like those, and this is a really weird um, comparison. I highly doubt many people are going to understand what I'm getting at, but it's not quite, point and click but it's similar in the sense that like those old cartoon network flash games where you had like these nintendo these um the cartoon network characters and you were going through these like areas trying to figure out puzzles and stuff (laughs) if again very weird but um that's what it kind of reminds me of because you have you start off on this island you unlock this thing and then suddenly you get access to another island you find these puzzles there's some platforming challenges and then eventually once you get like about one and a half two hours into the game everything kind of just fans out and you're kind of free to do what you want to do these different puzzles do these side activities it's not really a deep game but it's it's pretty fun it um it looks nice it has a bit of a i don't think it's actually voxel art style but it has a similar like vibe to it um the game obviously looks incredible like really nice on the switch and because this is a port of the switch game obviously it runs pretty well on xbox because it's a uh, much uh, more powerful all that i was gonna, actually going to ask like was this a switch game at one point and then you started answering it for me before yeah, i even asked a switch exclusive i believe it came out last year like this kind of came out of nowhere because i think the whole like when we found out this was coming to xbox and also pc was when it was announced for this month's, well, last month's Game Pass drop. So people are like, oh crap, it's coming to Xbox and PC, which is very weird because usually they just release games on Nintendo platforms. Um, the main reason I played on Xbox though is that the PC port is kind of questionable in the mm-hmm. sense that uh, when you boot it up, if you have a screen that has a refresh rate that's not 60 hertz, so, like, if it's, like, 75 hertz or 144 hertz or what have you, the game opens up with a warning saying that the game only supports 60 hertz display, and the game doesn't have an in-game frame rate cap. So you have to manually change the frame rate of, well, the refresh rate of your monitor because it's a UWP Windows Store game because the game pass. It's not on Steam. And... Once you get to that point and the fact that... Yeah, well, I've never heard that. Yeah, if if it's going to be 60 frames per second regardless, and I only have a 1440p display, and it's going to run 4K on an Xbox One X, I figured, well, I might as well just play it on there because I don't have to fiddle around with my monitor settings, and it's not like I'm really getting a better experience on PC in that case. So uh, PC port is kind of unfortunate, but the Xbox port's fine. I did have, like, one freeze, but the game does, like, um, autosave pretty frequently. And that was the only issue I had. Ran fine, like, perfectly fine regardless. I I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, There were some weird issues with platforming in the sense that it doesn't really... 
have a great camera for it. Like usually it's a fixed camera angle. And in some areas you can like pan it around a bit, but there's some platforming challenges that don't exactly work well with the way that the camera is like utilized. Like if it was just like, you have to go directly left or directly right or directly forward or directly back, that wouldn't be so much of an issue. But it's when you have to jump in a diagonal and there's no real good way to judge the depth while you're also moving left and right. I managed to deal with it, but I can definitely understand why some other people that I've been reading their impressions of the game had a bit of issues with it. It's only a few sections of the game, so I wouldn't necessarily say that should stop you from playing it. I think it's an enjoyable time. If you have Game Pass, there's really no reason not to play it. It took me about like six, seven hours to play through. So, I mean, it's a good game just to kind of play in like one sitting if you're bored like I would. Yeah, if you're quarantined up and have nothing else to do. Yeah. Um... Let's uh, not talk about that, though. Oh. Um, We're getting too close to home? Yeah. Um, I guess it's not really uh, hidden. It's not really something I'm hiding because I tweeted about it. But uh, this this is just entirely unrelated to gaming this week. But uh, my roommate's coworker got tested positive for COVID-19. So we're both holed up now because we don't know Uh, if my roommate... That's awful. Did you get so, tested or you weren't planning on it or? There's really no point because if we were getting tested, they wouldn't, we wouldn't go to the hospital unless we needed to get medical care anyways. So at this point, it's best just to self-quarantine. If we need to go to the hospital, go to the hospital. Yeah. Well, you, you say it's a complete tangent, but that's just kind of how the world is right now. You know, COVID doesn't care what, no, yeah. what, 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 what road you're on or what topic you're supposed to be talking about because it's just going to show up and do whatever. Because both of them, like both him and his coworker, were wearing masks. So we don't know where his coworker got it. So obviously that doesn't necessarily say too much, but hopefully we're fine. Hopefully. But um on a slightly less traumatic note, I was also playing Borrow Trauma with a few friends on a Discord the other day. Uh this is an interesting game. I'm not sure if anyone else here has heard of it. I've never heard of it. Borrow Trauma, B-A-R-O Trauma. Yes. Um, Have you heard of a game called Space Station 13? No. Okay. Space Station 13 is a bit of an infamous game that's also very, very unique in the sense that it runs on this really old, like, game engine that a couple of old, like, random PC games run on called Beyond, B-Y-O-N-D. It's very janky, but the game itself is rather infamous because of the amount of simulations it does. And the way that it kind of works for Space Station 13 is that you're on Space Station. It's a multiplayer game. At the beginning of every round, everyone has a role. And their role is basically what they need to do to try and prevent the Space Station from going haywire. So people can be security, people can be working on cargo, people can be medical, people can be all sorts of things. And there's a large, large variety of items. There's a large variety of interactions with items. And there's like, it's not quite at the level of simulation as something like Dwarf Fortress. But as far as multiplayer games go, it is very in-depth. And there's also obviously servers with modified like rule sets and whatnot. It's um, a lot of fun. And there's tons of stories that you can find online from people like talking about their experiences. like playing Space Station 13 and, like, the way that things go wrong and how, like, maybe somebody that was deliberately a, um, 
a uh, um, a traitor like managed to really screw up the station and stuff like that. Bardo Trauma is similar, and it's very much a game that is inspired by Space Station 13. The main difference is, is that Space Station 13 is a top-down game, and it's not very um, well to control because it has really, really janky controls. Uh, Bardo Trauma, instead of taking place on a space station, takes place in submarines. And it's a side view, so it's like a you're viewing everything from the side. The controls are still a bit janky, but not nearly as much as Space Station 13. And it's very much got more of a gameplay focus, because there is a campaign. Like, technically, Borrow Trauma is still in early access, but the interesting thing about it is that I didn't first play this game on Steam. I played this game because for the longest time, before they uploaded it to Steam for early access, when this was still an in-dev, like, not even full, like, alpha, the developers actually had, like, nightly builds of the game that they uploaded to their website for people to play and test. Oh, that was kind of so, like um, Starbound did the same yeah. thing. So I remember back in like 2016, something like that, I played and I actually hosted a few servers for people to play with on Borrowed Trauma back in the day. And I remembered enjoying it a bunch. So when these people from this server I'm a part of asked if I wanted to play, I was like, oh yeah, I get, oh, it's on Steam now. I can finally actually support these developers that I've been enjoyed their game quite a bit over the like not in a while but when i when i was playing it i enjoyed it quite a bit so um is it fully released or is it still early access access but um considering that the game has been like i had plenty of fun with it when it was still like an in-dev like there's still plenty here to have fun uh like just a an anecdote from uh what we were doing from one of the uh runs that we did yesterday is um so we were playing and i was the captain I didn't want to be the captain, but it was randomized. So I was kind of bumbling my way through, trying to make sure I just wasn't ramming our sub into walls. And uh, there was a very tight space I need to get through. And the first, so the objective that we needed for our run was that we needed to deal with a bunch of hostile aliens because the game itself actually takes place in not just like Earth, but also like the seas of Europa, which I think is Saturn's moon or something like that. One of one of those uh, gas giants moons. And in the ocean, there's all sorts of like eldritch horror type things and aliens that if they manage to penetrate the ship and get in, they can infect your crew members with a husk parasite that literally starts controlling them if they aren't treated um, quickly enough. But um, so I'm managing to do pretty well. We get to, the, to our objective, which is a bunch of uh, specific aliens that we need to destroy. We barely manage to um, <laughs> kill them all. We take on a lot of damage. We manage to somehow like repair ourselves. And we're feeling pretty good because that's about as far as we'd gotten that day. So we start heading to the um, base to try and like clear out our, our uh, mission and like end the round. And there's a very tight gap for me to get the submarine through. And it's like, okay, I think this is the way through. This is going to be pretty tricky. I get through and it's like, yes. Then all of a sudden we start going backwards. And I'm like, wait, what? I hop off the controls. I get onto one of the uh, guns to take a look around because it gives me an outside view of the ship. And apparently not only is there a wreckage of a submarine that was the thing that we passed by, because the sonar doesn't tell us what we passed by. And I was like passing over it, so I didn't see it there. So it wasn't just a regular submarine wreckage, but it was a submarine wreckage, which had some sort of hostile, like 
life form that had like grown around it and become like almost like a parasite on the wreckage and had shot onto our submarine and basically latched it on, dragged it over. And then all of a sudden these like zombie alien fish things have invaded us and all hell breaks loose. <laughs> oh, geez. This, I watched, I was watching a couple trailers while you were uh, describing it. It's not quite the same, but it reminds me a little bit of FTL. Uh, I guess I could kind of see the impression, but it's like FTL, but you're playing it multiplayer and there's so many different forms of like, uh, mechanics that you need to, to account for. Like, obviously, like much like space station 13, like if you're playing a game, you can have it so that somebody randomly is generated as a traitor, like yes, no, or maybe. So you're not sure if there's a traitor in each round. And one of the things they can do is that like for everything in the ship, there is deliberate like electrical wiring and circuitry and function boards that apply to all of the mechanics of the ship. One of the things I remember from, not necessarily now, but like back when I was playing it back in 2016, was what traders would do is that they would deliberately cause a leak in a section of the ship that they their job wasn't able to handle. They would rush out of the room, call for help. People would run in to seal things up. And then they would find that they weren't able to get out of the door because what happened is, is that while they were rushing in, the trader had rewired the door. So it became a one-way door. Oh, wow. So it's kind That's of, it reminds me of, I've never played this game, but um, the board game Paranoia uh, has some similar, um, you can't trust anyone. Well, I guess a lot of board games or tabletop games use that, use that same yeah. I don't know. I don't want to call it. It's that same general sense of unease where you can never really create true alliances with anyone because you never know like what their objective is to win the game. It might be different from yours and things like that. And there's like all sorts of little things you can do to mess around with players playing the game if you are a trader. And then there's all well, but even then, if you don't want to have traders in your game, the game it's, itself is like more than uh, happy to shower you with uh, unfortunate circumstances like a parasitic submarine that you have to deal with and uh, well uh, fail to deal with <laughs> but um very fun game i already knew that i liked it before i bought it because well i enjoyed it in end up and there's just more stuff to do the game looks better and obviously since it's a, a 2d game it runs perfectly well on my system like it would be surprising if it didn't um so yeah not really an rpg um but a very fun multiplayer game though I would definitely say that it's best with friends and especially if you really get into it and start like learning how to play the game, it can be a lot of fun on the higher difficulties. Like uh, my favorite review on the uh, game store page is one that one of my steam friends actually uh, wrote. And basically the final line is turn the, um, get a group of experienced friends together, turn the difficulty up to max and put the trauma and borrow trauma. Jeez. Uh, how so, many players is it? Four? Uh, I think the max is 12 in a server. Oh, wow. So, um, which makes sense because you can make your submarines pretty big and the uh, game procedurally generates it so that you can get through the map. I, I'm reading some of the stuff on it inspired by games like FTL, so I knew I wasn't imagining it. So, all right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I played a bit of that. Um, the last game I played this week, and this is actually a very good segue if I do say so myself, is PSO2 or Fantasy Star Online 2. 
Um, so obviously I played a bit of this earlier this year. I wrote up uh, impressions about the closed beta test on Xbox. Um, but I originally was going to wait until it came out on PC. And then, uh, well, uh, Windows Store happened. <laughs> so I figured, well, I'll just keep playing on Xbox until it comes out on Steam. And, well, that's our first news topic. Uh, PSO2 is finally coming out on Steam on August 5th, along with the first real content update, adding in Episode 4. Yeah, it's kind of weird because we knew Episode 4 was coming in August because they announced that uh, in June. They, they announced it a couple months back, but now they we've have, learned that that's coinciding with the Steam release. Which, that's good. Um, kind of like straddling the line between talking about the news and talking about what I've been playing. Um, I think I finally kind of understand the um, gameplay loop for PSO2. It's uh, very much a thing where you keep running specific missions to get weapons that you can use to upgrade other weapons. And what you want to do is you want to run stuff like urgent quests to get high rarity weapons for the black, the class that you're using. And then you just continually um, um, enhance them as you're going through the harder and harder difficulties and you're tackling new content and the like. So it's um, a very relaxed game. I wouldn't even necessarily call it an MMO. While there are um, MMO-type uh, encounters and whatnot, the game is very much more a... Uh, I think they even call it an online RPG, not necessarily an MMO, and there's a bit of a different connotation to it. I know that I've uh, said in the past that it's more akin to a classic Monster Hunter, though obviously PSO came first. But uh, Yeah, we've made that comparison before. And like uh, for anyone else who doesn't play it, it's the sort of sometimes in MMOs, like actual like traditional ones, if you get weapons that are not at the tier you want, they they don't have they don't serve a lot of purpose. But here, uh, weapons that are of a certain rarity but still not what you need, you can either feed them into your other weapons to make them stronger, or basically trade them in. They're and they're basically currency in themselves. Uh, but so I've been playing that on Xbox. Um, uh, one nice thing about uh, PSO2, I guess, is that since I have Game Pass Ultimate, like, once a month, I get, like, random stuff that gets added to my, um, that I can redeem for use in PSO2. Like, um, there's a pack that you can use one time that gives you, like, some art cash and also, like, a 12 times um, roll on the scratch ticket, which, uh, one thing I will say, um, the scratch ticket mechanic in PSO2 is honest to God scummy. Like, each scratch is $2, and it's a totally random drop for, like, one piece of cosmetics. And it's honestly disgusting. Because if you want to, like, a few, like, a, like, last week, there was a... Konosuba, like, scratch ticket going on. If you wanted to get stuff from the scratch ticket, you basically had to, it, since it's entirely RNG and there's a bunch of stuff in there, not just the stuff that they advertise, there's so little chance that you're going to get the thing that you actually want. So even on the free, like, 12 times scratch, which would normally be $22, it gives you a free one, There, I didn't get anything i wanted pretty much and that is, is just, that is that only on game pass ultimate because i have game pass pc and i don't think i've got uh, any freebies that also comes with a variety of things called perks 
that can be used in different games. Like there's like uh, GPU perks for uh, Warframe. There's stuff for World of Tanks, and there's um, the one-time one for PSO2, which gives you the Arctic's cash and the uh, the uh, scratch ticket thing. But also you get a certain number of like XP tickets and um, SG and stuff like once a month. Like I think like tomorrow or the third, there's going the uh, August. Uh, um, Game Pass Ultimate perk for PSO2 should go live. So I don't know exactly what's going to be in August or if it's like standardized, but like once a month you get some stuff. And then like the first time you do it, you actually get a bit of uh, arts cash and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And for anyone else who doesn't play it, like you can't, there is no in game way to get the currency used in those scratch tickets. You have to buy it. There's other currency that you can buy or earn, but that stuff you have to buy. And then you can buy the results, like in this Konosuba collaboration, if you wanted to get like the, the outfits, you, you can buy them yeah. from other players, but usually it's like exorbitant amounts of in-game gold. Yeah. Um, I do think, I'm not sure if this was something I got with the first time perk or if it's something that you do get in the monthly, but I did also get access to the gold mission pass. I haven't like, since I didn't start playing again until like near the end of the month, I haven't redeemed it, but I did get access to a gold mission pass ticket that I can redeem to get access to the gold, the paid tier for their kind of like their, uh, their battle, battle pass. pass. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something, um, I'm enjoying it. I'm definitely going to start playing it a bit more once it comes out on steam <laughs> for sure. Um, though, obviously that's only going I'm going to, be focused on a uh, final fantasy once the uh, latest patch hits yeah i i heard i saw someone uh a mutual on twitter who plays i guess both final fantasy thir- uh, 14 and fantasy star like oh my god early august is gonna be a nightmare because you have episode four and you have 5.3 so it sounds yeah. like you're kind of in the same boat well at least there's not that many ever rpgs coming out lately so yeah, I guess that's why we've been covering like these more indie games and things like that. But we got we got Horizon in August. We got uh, Crystal Chronicles, which I'm interested in. So yep. finally getting out of the uh, doldrums of the year. Before we do go on to news, we did kind of hybridize that with the Fantasy Star Episode 4 news. But uh, George, you had one more game listed here that I want to make sure I give you a chance to talk about. Uh, yeah, so I... As is the case when I often do talk about games, I I don't really like to say a final opinion until I've properly finished it, and I haven't finished Hellpoint yet, but I've been playing a bit of that. Uh, I'm about seven to eight hours in. And so what is the... this game? I've I'm not sure I'm familiar with Hellpoint. Yeah, so speaking of us covering indie games, yes. So uh, uh, Hellpoint is an indie game, and if you want to be douchey about it you can just say oh it's dark souls in space and then they'll be like uh well no it's not and then i'd probably counter and say yeah it kind of is like my initial thoughts playing it were the tone is really cool because it's like it's set on this big spaceship called i think it's it nova or something like that and it's like orbiting this black hole and it's really like i've heard the comparison like hr geiger like alien stuff like that and that's pretty apt like your character is basically like this 3d printed like pale weird looking person um and it 
you just go along and it's like, oh, here's the equivalent to bonfires and here's the equivalent to souls. And when you die, this happens. And the big difference that it's that's supposed to be is that unique events happen depending on where you're orbiting around the station. So like, uh, like a unique mini boss will appear if you're in this place at this specific time while the spaceship is orbiting. And that sounds really cool. But it's so situational, I'm not actually sure if it's happened to me yet. Like, the only thing I can say for certain that has happened is that enemies have respawned at a specific time. They don't respawn when you go to the equivalent of a bonfire. You just get your health back. But yeah, will... and uh, just like I did with James, I started watching some footage. And it's this is very much unashamedly Dark Souls. And I, I'm... <laughs> I, I'm, I'm okay like with a, that. It's just, it's just, it's not like, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm describing, I'm describing something as Dark Souls because I'm, you know, I, I don't have any other, I don't have the capability of doing anything else. But like, no, that's what this is. That's what's gonna make uh, reviewing it so hard. I've drafted like at least ten opening paragraph uh, review intros for like what I'm eventually gonna say, but it's so hard to review something when it's so clearly aping something else. Because, like, how do you... Say... Especially when it says ubiquitous is that, where no matter how earned the comparison is, you're poisoned as soon as you invoke that same comparison. Exactly. I'm, I'm in the boat of, like, do I mention it completely on its own merits, of which there aren't really that many, or do I mention it on how well it copies Dark Souls, which it, it does quite well. Like, it, it still has... I was playing it earlier today, actually, because I was like, oh, I, I, I need to finish this. Um, and I was there like, I I have a lot that I'd say uh, about, but I'm, I'm still sat here playing it. Like, it's still kind of got its hooks in me. But uh, I will say that the there is one gameplay element it does that I think I actually enjoy a lot more than I do in uh, other Soulsborne games. And that's that you're healing your healing item, which is just like a syringe, you stab into your neck, like generic recharge or whatever. Uh, it doesn't actually recharge when you go to a uh, breach, which is what they call the bonfire equivalent. It actually recharges from attacking enemies or if you die. So like you have the choice sort of how like Bloodborne, you can like get some of the damage back by attacking just after you've been hit. You can choose to be a bit more offensive to charge up your healing faster. And I, I think that's like a, a genuinely really good mechanic. Like, I, I'm not sure if another game does it, um, but I don't think any of the, the Soulsborne games do it. And I, I enjoy it's, that. It's kind of got like monster design, almost looks like Doom or something, at least some of the bosses. Yeah, like the, the designs are all cool. Um, and they are unique because I can't think of another game. It, it reminds me of The Surge, but like a worse version of the surge and i don't think many like adam you played the surge didn't you and you were sort of like meh on that i felt like both surge games which are probably bigger budget than this one they're both okay they're like not terrible they're not really fantastic they're just if you want more they're there yeah and i'm uh this this is going to be one of those controversial things i say again uh, I'm not actually a massive Soulsborne fan. Like, if you if you sat me down and you're like, "Quick, tell me which Soulsborne game's your favorite," I would say Sekiro, and then someone would punch me in the face and say, <laughs> "Okay, again, that doesn't count." And then I'd be like, uh, "I guess Bloodborne." 
they're, they're not they don't really do that much to me like i appreciate them and i'm you know i'm this, very much a uh, classic souls like i like dark souls and i like dark souls 3 i've played bloodborne and i've played a few other similar type of games and then like, yeah i like dark souls and dark souls 3 yeah i just i guess i just don't vibe too well with the whole uh story told through the world and not explicitly well that may make me kind of like a like a dummy like hey you need your story told by characters but uh, i kind of just like it that way i don't have to do too much thinking so we've got three indie games covered in this early section we have other side uh which is like a tactical rpg roguelike i don't know you never really compared it to any single other game then we have like i said it's pretty unique then we had Fey Tactics, which I compared to Tactics Advance. And then you had Hellpoint, which is like Dark Souls in space with Doom Monsters. But, like explicitly, like it's not just like, oh, hey, Ghost of Tsushima is kind of like infamous because uh, Jin moves the same way as Cole does, kind of. It's like, this is just Dark Souls in space. Yeah, it's like, it's not, not just third person action game with a stamina bar. It's like got the same similar animations yeah. and movement, things like that. It is fun, though. I, I will give it that. It, it is aping a system that works. Like, yeah. if, if you get happy, then at least do it off the smart kids homework, you know? Like, it, it, it does work. I do enjoy it. Uh, I just don't know if I'll be singing its praises. As we go into the uh, news of the week, there really isn't that much. We've already covered Fantasy Star, which you kind of already knew about, but we just had like an addendum to it in terms of the Steam release information. Uh, but also coming to Steam, this is something that I think Adam is very interested in, and maybe James as well. Uh, Disgaea 4 Complete Plus. So as someone from the outside looking in, like and I, I've seen these announced with like Disgaea Five or and Disgaea, I think the original. And there's, I know the plus on the end signifies something, but I don't quite remember what. So Adam, can you just explain to me, like I'm five, what Disgaea Four Complete Plus coming out for Steam and Xbox Game okay. Pass is? Okay, let me start at the top. Um, Disgaea is a series from Nipponichi. It's a series of tactical RPGs. Okay, the I just want is... I just want to clarify that I knew this much. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what okay what does complete mean and what does the plus mean <laughs> yeah so the thing is with each disgaea game released on a platform and then they re-released on a later platform with more stuff for example the first game released on playstation 2 and then it re-released on playstation 3 with more stuff um that, that's the same for the second sorry i might have missed i might have misspoke there it originally released on playstation 2 and then released on playstation portable um with more stuff same thing happened with Disgaea 2. And then with Disgaea 3, those got Vita re-releases. So basically, sometimes when these come out again, like Disgaea 4 released on PlayStation 3, and then it released on PlayStation Vita with more stuff. So they re-released it as Disgaea 4 Complete Plus. So complete basically means, all right, it's got the content from the Vita version. So we're re-releasing it for, for Switch and PS4. That came out last year. And it's got the con the new content that was added that wasn't in the original version of the game. And then the plus stuff was like mostly quality of life stuff in terms of um, some other new functions that are added to the, the most recent release. And that came out last year for Disgaea 4. 
and now so that's this is, coming so to this PC. just a PC version. Uh, so okay, let me work backwards. This is a PC okay, port that... of a re-release of an expanded release of the Disgaea Four, <laughs> something like that. So what this ultimately means is Disgaea One is on PC. It's just known as Disgaea PC, and it's got all the content from all versions of Disgaea One. Cool. Then Disgaea Two is on PC, which is called Disgaea Two PC. And that's got all the content from all the versions of Disgaea 2. Actually, I guess I should mention for Disgaea 1. Geez, this is confusing. Um, Disgaea 1 got a re-release um, on Switch as well and PS4 called Disgaea 1 Complete. It's kind of a weird name. But it has like different art style. That's the main difference. It's like all the same content, but the art, because the original Disgaea game is old now. And so like the old sprite style, you know, is, is not, I don't want to say dated because, you know, it's sprites don't date that badly um but it's got a new updated art style and i understand most people seem to agree that the old sprites were better so yes but the pc version doesn't have any official update to those new sprites i'm sure there's mods by now um or at least when disgaea 4 comes out maybe they'll have more, more to work with to like port it in or whatever but um so yeah, there's Disgaea on PC, there's Disgaea 2 on PC, then there was Disgaea 5 on PC. Um, Which was a bit of a clusterfuck. Because yeah, so the network content or something? Yeah, basically, so well, even before that, just the process of releasing on PC was... Hmm. So originally, before it came out, they had a demo that you could get if you went through like Alienware's like, sort of... I remember this, it was so weird. A demo key, and then... It was supposed to be hard locked out to a certain point, but then people found out that if you just save edited it, so you got past the lockout point, the rest of the game was already playable. And so they delisted it, and then it was like not released for like several more months. And one thing that was especially weird is that there was a feature that was actually cut from the final release, which had to do with user-generated content and the level editor and that sort of stuff that was in the original demo and it was just confusing as all hell. Okay, wait, oh, wait, 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 wait. Let's 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 take it down a notch. Before we go any further, this is the one with the prinnies, right? They all have prinnies. Yeah, that's the okay. yeah, yeah, all the games have prinnies. That's their mascot thing. Unless you're talking about the prinny platformers, which is prinny one and well, uh, prinny can I be, really be the hero? See, I was I was obsessed. I I don't even know how, but as a kid, I would go on YouTube and I just like the disguise penguin saying, "Dude, like I have no relationship to the series whatsoever." But when those platformers got announced to get in their re-release, like I was there, like, "Yes, I finally have a relationship with this series." So that that's my knowledge of Disgaea. You might yeah, the printies, the printies are right in the original Disgaea game. In the original game, I think they often they're mostly introduced as like Edna's. Uh, um, like slaves, yeah, slaves. Uh, but yeah, so, okay, stepping back a bit. So, the first two games are on PC, the Sky of Five is on PC. Um, and that's they pretty much have all like the gameplay content. I know there's some oddities, maybe with some of the user generated stuff for five, and that, that actually so four was just announced for PC. That means, yes, three is sort of skipped right now. That game is on PS3 and Vita, and that's it. Well, they technically emulate it on our pcs3 right. PS3 version Not officially 
TV to content. So it's, yeah. Um, but I think the most interesting thing about this announcement isn't necessarily the game, but rather the fact that it's coming to Game Pass for PC. Yes. Um, also, and opens the doors for maybe other NIS games to come to Game Pass for PC. Like, is it like I know that Falcom is very like open about which platforms or games can come out on PC because like their PC versions of games day and date are out on on uh, GOG, which is DRM free. Maybe East Nine or maybe CS Four will be like on Game Pass for PC on date like day and date. We don't know. It's kind of interesting. It's also worth noting that when Nissan uh, NIS America announced this Disgaea 4 on PC, they did say that the network features are coming later. So sort of maybe uh, a reprisal of what happened with 5. Um, they did say, I don't remember off the top of my head, but like things like the character created or the user created content and other online functionality will not be at the game at launch when it launches this fall. Um, so they kind of just admitted it. They have a blog post for it. But I think all the rest of the content should be there in terms of like the storyline and the the Vita version stuff. Um, by the way, this is the entry. I didn't know anything about this game because, okay, I played the first two Disguises on PC and I kind of been waiting for three. And now it's like, well, like here's four. I'm still waiting for three. I want to play it in order, even though they're not really connected. But anyways, this Disguise Four is the one where it has the main character voiced by Troy Baker, and apparently he's really obsessed with sardines. Or there's some inside joke about it. That's like the only thing I know about this version, this game. Yeah, uh, some character voiced by Troy Baker yelling about sardines. Yeah, there's actually a reason why this happened before Disgaea Three, because like even on consoles, obviously, like yeah, Disgaea. Well, I mean, they didn't re-release two on consoles yet, but the reason why Disgaea Four Complete Plus happened, at least talking, remembering from what I talked with that, Remembering what I talked about with NIS America D3, I think 2018 it was, something like that. The reason why this happened first is because they had like a poll and like apparently out of like all the Disgaea games, like people wanted to see a re-release for four because like in the fandom, it's like the favorite because it had like newer gameplay and the story was good and stuff like that. I own a bunch of Disgaea games. I haven't played any of them. I feel bad about that. I should really get to more of my RPGs on my backlog. But uh, yeah, that's the reason why this probably came to PC first is because they had already done all sorts of porting work for it. So they probably- I will say just casually, like the main character of one, Laharl, I actually do not remember what the main character of two's name is. Um, and like, I know what the main character of three looks like, but I never see people like mention him or or anything. Like these are just niche games in general, but like Valva Torres in four, like I at least know his name. Like, I know his name. I don't even know the name of the main character in 2. Even though I played that, I can't think of it. I think it starts with an A. But like, I'll be honest, like I, thought Laharl, I thought Laharl was the main character in all of them, to be honest. I he's think he shows up in more than one, but he's only the main character in the first. No, he's a main character in D2 as well. Oh, yeah, D2 is a direct sequel, the first one. It's kind of weird. It's like it's like, it's like Final Fantasy X and X2, where it's like there's Disgaea 1, and there's sort of like a Disgaea 1 sequel that is not Disgaea 2. It's called Disgaea D2. So that one's also not on PC. Um, but apparently it just works just like any other Disgaea game. Yeah. I guess. Also like Bravely Second versus Bravely Default 2. Right. 
like I, I just kind of want to play them in order. I know they're, the stories aren't connected, but just to kind of like see the progression. And I have plenty of other stuff to play. So like, but it's cool that they're on PC, and hopefully, eventually, the whole series will be. And so it's like, hey, if you want to go somewhere to play it, I know the first two games anyway. You can play them on fairly low spec hardware. Maybe not as low as you should be able to, though. But they're I, fun. Considering the Sky of Five and obviously the Sky of Complete One, well, and the Sky of Four Complete run on the Switch, I don't think it should be an issue for pretty much any PC to be able to run them. So the first the first port had some issues when it launched, but I think they've ironed out most of it. I know it's not like it's still not like. There's still some bugs here and there, but I think overall it's in a much better place than where it was when it launched. Yeah, like the Sky at PC was like NIS America's. What well, wasn't their first? Because I think they released like a Cladden game or like Cladden one and two on PC, and then like those didn't do so hot, so they kind of avoided the like Steam for like a long while. But for all intents and purposes, the Sky at PC was like their first real serious attempt at PC. So obviously there was. Some growing pains there, I'd say. I'll be honest, I did not expect to get that much mileage out of Disgaea for complete plus PC port. Even now, I understand. Now I understand how it all sorts uh, works together, though. Yeah. Speaking of um, Nice America titles, here I'll introduce this next one for you, James. I know you want to talk about it. So early last year, we got an announcement for a sequel, or at least a follow-up to Labyrinth of Refrain, Coven of Dusk, called Labyrinth of Galleria, Coven of Dusk. Now, remind me, that title is unofficial? It's sort of an assumed title yeah. that for English, but we don't know it. You know, it's only got a Japanese title at the moment. Japanese so this title one? had a similar, has a similar um, kind of format as the original title for uh, Labyrinth of Refrain in Japan. Labyrinth of Refrain in Japan was called Coven and Labyrinth of Refrain. This one is called Coven and Labyrinth of Galleria. Ah, uh, so, so that's kind of so why it shares the subtitle in English. But yeah, that so, dusk part in the English title is sort of... It's almost definitely not going to have that in the... Right. Uh, so we were calling it Coven of Dusk, but it, it might be Coven of something else, because that's sort of a, that was sort of an NIS America edition. But yeah, there, it's a sequel follow-up <laughs> game that finally got a release date. Right, so the history here is... Um, that this was announced early last year, and then it was delayed. First of all, it had never had an English announcement. It still doesn't. Um, and it was delayed to spring 2020, about halfway through 2019. And then we heard basically nothing about it, except that they they scrubbed the, the spring to basically a TBD undecided. But now they finally announced that it is coming out on November 26th for PlayStation 4 and PlayStation Vita. Yep. So how do we feel about this, James? Because I know... You're looking forward to this one. Well, um, both Adam and I played this and obviously argued for it during uh, RPG Sites uh, Game of the Year 2018 uh, um, deliberations. And it was, well, Labyrinth of Refrain was uh, NIS America's first foray into like the dungeon RPG um, genre. And they knocked it out of the park. So I'm really interested to see how this one hashes out. I am a little concerned because it's obviously had a bit of a tumultuous uh, development cycle, but I'm not, I'm not sure if that's necessarily the fault of the game itself, because it seems like the whole reason it was delayed was because of issues stemming from uh, the Skya RPG, their uh, mobile game in Japan that had a ton of issues and almost caused like 
for all intents and purposes, it sounds like NIS almost went under. <laughs> so uh, hopefully this is good. Um, I'm hopeful because again, the first one was good, but um, we'll have to see. I'm definitely made our really top five, right? That year? Yeah. Yep. Made our top five. It'll, I'll definitely be getting this on Vita, which will be funny because I played the first one on Switch instead of the original Vita like uh, platform. And I'm going to be playing this one on Vita. The thing is, I think this game, this the first game has really good, it's kind of a really well-rounded game overall. It's got a really good story and characters and like a really unique take on dungeon crawling combat. However, just the way the first game works, a sequel had to have new characters like in a new storyline. There's no way it could have had the same ones. Um, it's like, they might suck. And that was kind of a big, that was a good, a big, you know, nice surprise of the first game is that the characters were, were really cool and interesting and compelling. So it's like, hopefully they can follow up on that with a new cast. I'll definitely say the one thing about Labyrinth for Refrain that gets me is that, um, well, the game is very mature. On a variety of levels, like mature in the sense that it's like one step removed from an adults only rating, I'd say, with some of the stuff it has. It's very, very, uh, very much a hard M rated game, if I've ever seen one. Um, but also the storyline itself does tackle some pretty mature, like, uh, like themes. And not really to get into spoilers, but there are like LGBT characters in the game. I'd say they're portrayed decently. It's it was honestly just surprising to see something like this come out of like NIS and it was a very good surprise, I'd say. And I, I just want to say that like, it's like actually mature, not just we have violence and sex. So we're yeah, mature, we, you know? Yeah. We, we swear a lot. Yeah. It's like messed up in the, like the game very clearly like tries to go for a fairy tale aesthetic, but like actual fairy tale, like the messed up um, type of fairy tale. It doesn't shy away from those sorts of, um, it's a very grim, like with two M's type of game. And I don't know, hey. it's, a, it's a great game. It's definitely my favorite NIS um, game since I played it. I, I can't recommend it enough. So I think I saw you, uh, either you were mentioning this in our Discord or tweeting about it, or maybe this was Adam, but how likely do we think that instead of a Vita release, if this comes stateside, that we get a Switch release instead, seeing how Miss America supported that? Well, actually, I think the only reason why we didn't get the Vita version over here in the West for the first game was because they ported it to PS4 later and added additional content, which meant that they couldn't just drag and drop the uh, localization between the two games. And so... we've even... So I think it's possible that if this does come over, that we do see a digital uh, Vita version release in the West, which would be actually kind of funny if the first game's Vita version never came over, but the second one did. But so. also, um, NIS America is very frequently now, kind of, when they announce a localization, they sometimes will add a Switch port. Like okay. they've done this, like for example, East 9, it, when they announced East 9 for your localization, it's coming to Switch. It's not on Switch in Japan, but it's coming to Switch here, and then it'll presumably backport to Japan. Um, that's what happened with the first Labyrinth of Refrain game. So it's possible that when it's localized, which it will be localized, NIS America pretty never pretty much never skips their parent company titles. Um, it'll it's likely it'll get a Switch version. I think whether that is in addition to Vita or a replacement to Vita, we'll see. 
I'd say that it's a very, very, I'd say there's like zero chance that this doesn't come out on Switch in the West. Like, it's basically guaranteed. Every game that like NIS America localizes these days has a Switch version, usually day and date. So it's pretty safe to assume. And, I, and from my understanding, like Switch was the best selling SKU of the first game. So, um, um, but yeah, I would actually like to see this come to Vita in the West because um, from what I understand, there is actually a completed translation for the Vita version of the first game that just never saw the light of day over here, which is a shame. Wouldn't that be something to get a Vita release in 2021? Yeah. Um, but I, I kind of just want to see it so that like the whole reason I put up that Vita article about like a retrospective retrospective was because I assumed that Utsuaru Mono would be the last Vita game that would be localized, but I'd love to be proven wrong. That would be, uh, that would be fun. But yeah. Uh, Labyrinth of Galleria coming out November in Japan on Vita and PS4. And obviously, we we'll, yeah, we'll bring it up again uh, when and if or if and when uh, the localization oh, well, is announced. We'll talk about it in November. So the rest of what's on the list here is little uh, smaller news stories, uh, things that might fall under our coverage window, or we could if we if we have the uh, an interested you know contributor who wants to look at it, which is the case for. This uh, Marvel's Avengers, which has been having their War Room or War Table uh, monthly or is it bi-weekly updates. So a little bit of background here is we weren't originally going to cover this because we didn't have anyone on the site that was really interested in it until George came along. So George has actually been uh, covering all the uh, Marvel's Avengers updates for us. And they announced uh, a first post-launch character. Or what else did they uh, announce at this War Room thing? So... First of all, I'm the only person interested in the Avengers. I thought I thought we were all really excited for it. Yeah. Oh man. Anyway, yeah. Uh <laughs> this seems to have kind of turned quite a lot of people around though. The reaction I've seen on social media has gone from this Avengers game looks crap to hey, maybe I'll play this. So I I don't know. Maybe maybe you guys might be more interested in it when it comes out. I uh, did take a look at the uh, war table, like, and I do think it actually looks pretty good. I'm not sure if I'm going to play it, just because at this point I have three games of a ser- as a service type games I'm playing, like PSO2, Monster Hunter, and Final Fantasy. So I, uh, I don't, know. I don't know. I don't actually have a games as a service that, like I regularly check into. So that's sort of the reason I was so keen uh, to check this out, and. The the second war table has kind of clarified uh, the upcoming beta, which I think starts on the seventh of August. Yeah, yeah, we talked about, of we August, talked about this. Start, it's like we, it's a week shifted if you have PS4 or whatever. Or it, they've done it really weird, where basically there there is a beta coming for absolutely everybody. Just preferably if you're on PS4, and preferably if you've already pre-ordered. Uh, we went into it before, it's stupid, let's not do it again. Uh, and they basically said that that beta will include an opening mission they've showed a million times, which is like this big set-piece thing on the Golden Gate Bridge, uh, which is pretty cool, I, I guess. I, I've seen that footage to death, so I'm not that didn't really do much for me, but it's cool that it's there. And then 
two more single player missions, uh, one with the Hulk, one with Ms. Marvel. Uh, and that's actually surprising. When they said that, I was like, usually betas won't have anything like that. Like, usually they would, it would, to me, a beta would just be, oh, hey, here's like a new multiplayer mode that you can play. This is literally just to test that people don't absolutely hate our game and that it's like functioning. Uh, but they're kind of going all out with this. They're like, yeah, here's some bits of story. Um, and then I think it's 20 missions worth of the like multiplayer stuff. Maybe it's 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 either twenty plus those two single player missions or twenty including those single player missions. Uh but either way, like that's quite a lot of content. Um Yeah, the four playable characters during the beta will be Iron Man, Hulk, Ms. Marvel, and Black Widow. Which is so. such a shame because like Captain America's the the one that I'm definitely gonna play the most, I think. Although it, it makes me laugh. They're doing this whole uh they're trying to do this whole bit of like, is Captain America dead? But it's like, I mean, he's obviously not. That, that's not. That's not a twist. Like, if anyone's listening and gone, ah, oh, George, you've spoiled like the game's big like, like twist. Come on, I'm not. Like, e- even on the art book, they tweeted out a picture of the art book, and it was like, check out Marvel's Avengers art book coming out like just before the game launches, and Captain America's right there in like the updated armor that everyone else is wearing and i'm like just just if you're not going to try don't try like <laughs> like he's clearly in it um unfortunately but, i'm uh, just it, like I, I won't try to sugarcoat it i have like negative hype for this game i have not seen like a single marvel movie like this game is just not for me i, I mean i'm happy to entertain you being enthusiastic about it but i mean i i'm i i was like sort of enthusiastic when it got announced then that slowly dwindled to sort of like a sarcastic enthusiasm like yay to now sort of being like you know what like nothing nothing else is really going on uh september oh. now that cyberpunk away and I, I do like i do like marvel i like chris dynamics i don't hate games as a service it it, it, it looks okay yeah, and, this, and um, I think this year has been a good year for it since, like, the movies have been, you know, wound down for a bit. Yeah, yeah I agree. Because I, I definitely have, like, I, I'm on the sort of middle spectrum of Marvel movies where, like, I will watch them, but, like, I don't think they're cinematic masterpieces. Uh, I think all the, like, main team-up Avenger films are all pretty incredible because of what they do. But then, like, if you go to me and say, oh... Uh, Gardens of Galaxy Part Two is like a ten out of ten. I'd be like, uh, okay, <laughs> like they don't fuss me that much. Um, that being said, I was excited to find out who'd be the first like post-launch character, and of course it was Hawkeye. Like, <laughs> of course, last last week when I predicted, I was like, oh, it's definitely Hank Pym. Uh, no. I was wrong. This podcast is can just be renamed George is wrong every single week. Uh, because it seems like I'm wrong about something new each time. And yeah, it's not Hank Pym, it's Hawkeye. Probably the most boring choice they could have gone with. Uh, uh, we uh, we tweeted out the image and people were like, that's just a guy. That's just a dude holding a bow. That's kind of who Hawkeye is. Have they announced that? Uh, like, um, Square Enix didn't really help here. Like, they didn't, they didn't have, like, a render or art of him in, like, his actual, like, combat outfit that I could have used. It was like 
they had some like really quick clips of him in the trailer, which were meant to be sort of like flashy and like, you know, only got bits and pieces of him. And then they just released that artwork of like one of his alternate costumes, which is sort of casual. So, okay, well, that's what I'm going to use because that's the only one you gave us. And it, yeah, some of the some of the commentary on Twitter was fun, where it's like he's like a a PUBG player or whatever. <laughs> I wouldn't mind, but like his actual design is so boring that his alternate, not very good at all, like bow and arrow uh, target on his on his shirt, which looks awful. Like it's so much better. Like it, at least it's distinct, and I, I think that's a, one of the bigger problems that this game is going to have I know they have all these like alternate costumes and stuff like that but generally the it just looks kind of boring like it's very bland art style and then having Hawkeye who is besides Black Widow notoriously the most boring Avenger doesn't really help that have, have like, they announced how many like post launch characters are going to be or no they did one of those weird things in the, at the end of the trailer where like Hawkeye's name appeared in the second slot of four like question marks which is weird because he's the first announced one. Oh, uh, so two, one out of four but he's number two all right which is just weird like i'm betting that four is that the quote-unquote first one is just gonna be captain america since you since obviously he's gonna be playable ah uh, yeah oh if they did that that would be that that would make sense in a roundabout way of how they're showing it, but I feel like post-launch, I, I feel like they'd really be taking the mick a bit there. I, I think it's personally still Hank Pym is the first choice, um, but they haven't like, revealed that he's actually a playable character, then Hawkeye. Should I not admit that I have no idea who Hank Pym is? Well, he's, is that just he's, a name you made up? <laughs> he's the uh, first Ant-Man. You can just um, call him Ant-Man. Sorry, there's like this is this is what you deal with with Marvel. Like if I say, oh yeah, Ant Man, there's going to be yeah, someone out there like, is. oh, do you mean Scott Lang, like the the second Ant Man or the third Ant Man? And then I'm like, you, you're taking it too seriously. <laughs> it's the comic. He's Ant Man. Like it doesn't matter. Um, I think he's going to be playable. And then two characters that I after this Hawkeye announcement, I no longer care enough to sort of get excited for because i last week i was giving it the big and like oh maybe it'll be black panther or maybe it'll be doctor strange or something like that and it's hawkeye <laughs> so God knows. but we're getting closer to the beta in fact oh, next week is the beta uh so in two weeks time i will be talking about avengers that's sort of exciting yeah just another just put it on the list of stuff coming out in august even though it's just a beta but We also have, uh, this is pretty much, this, there's no way to segue to this. Uh, we have a new announcement for the anti-RPG called Moon. This was, I don't know if again, I'll just have to hand this off to Adam, because this was a game that came out in 1997 in Japan and just kind of resurfaced either early this year or late last year for a official localization over two decades later for Nintendo Switch, and now it's coming yeah, okay. out. So basically, Moon, which is sometimes referred to as Moon, a remix RPG adventure, 
Yes, you are right. It was released on the original PlayStation back in 1997 in Japan. It is basically an anti-RPG. It wasn't really called an anti-RPG back then. At least I don't believe so. But it's the sort of thing where it's like, I believe the premise is, is there's some, quote, hero going around the world killing a bunch of monsters. And then you're sort of following them, actually, like, befriending and uh, the monsters. And, like, the theme of love is um, kind of pervades throughout the game. And this game was supposedly an inspiration for Toby Fox to make Undertale. Um, has a lot of similar sort of nonviolent themes and things like that. And that's why they call it an anti-RPG. The people who are actually calling it an anti-RPG is the studio who is bringing this game to Switch. They are It's Onion Games, which is sort of like a Japanese indie studio. And they released it on Switch in Japan already last year. So it's already out in Japanese. But they're going to localize it into English. The interesting thing there actually is when this game originally came out for PlayStation 1 in 1997, it actually was at one of the very first E3s, and it was planned for a release in English way back when, but then it just fell through and never happened. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. Um, then it was re-released for Switch by Onion Games. They somehow got the rights to do that. And there they decided we're going to localize it. And so it's taken them a while to, to do that because it's already out in Japan, but it's coming out in on August 27th. So well, it's, it's the first official English release of the game. And it's, you know, like I said, it's got, it's, it was an inspiration for some of the themes that you see in Undertale from Toby Fox. And it's interesting. It looks like it's, you know, obviously very different from most RPGs. It's, they, they're calling it an anti-RPG. And it's got, you have to realize it was made, you know, 13 years ago or whatever. So we'll see. Ago. Or 23 um, years ago. Sorry. Can't do math. Little thing about uh, Moon. Is it apparently uh, Tim Rogers is working on the localization? Like that ex oh, yeah, yep. writer slash video guy? Yeah. Yep. Tim Rogers is, he is or was a Kotaku contributor um, doing some sort of like, he would he would post videos and 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 uh, articles, you know, talking about localization quirks and things like that. Um, he I don't know if he lives in Japan, but he's he's he was basically brought on to do the local the primary localization for that game. So it's kind of interesting to see how how that came about. That's just another one for August, uh, late in the month. We also got another new trailer for Atelier Ryza 2. I don't think we're going to spend a lot of time on this because this will be three weeks in a row that we talked about this. So it was it was basically leaked by Classification Board two weeks ago, then announced last week. And then this week, we basically got our first trailer with uh, some details. So I don't know how much, you know, how much into the weeds I want to get here, but they talk about the returning characters. Uh, they talk about some of the new... Uh, the new like monster writing or uh, some other features that they have on there. And then they got a new piece of key art for the game. So obviously the fact that they're doing a direct sequel to this is kind of just amount to how much of a revitalization the first game was, which we already kind of already talked about. So I don't know if there's anything to else honest, from this to well, that's new. To be honest, when they kind of first pre-announced this last week, they basically already said what's the new things like they're swimming now and whatever. Now we the the from the trailer last this very last week, we know there's like a new like monster companion like fairy sort of creature named Firefee. Um, 
you know, just like a pet, if you will. Just think of the uh, the Zelda character who never shuts up, right? <laughs> Nothing really so, yeah, to talk about this. I mean, I think I'm the only one on the cast that's even played in the Tellier game. <laughs> and I've only played uh, Aisha, which um, I need to uh, get back to Esk and Logi and the rest of the best trilogy, because I do know that people keep saying that Rise is a very good game, and I believe them, but I want to finish up the games I have first before I pick it up. I know in Famitsu, apparently, um, the director said they are hoping to get a simultaneous worldwide release. It's just, you know, obviously this year, nothing is certain. So we'll see what happens. Here's open. Not that I'll be playing it at launch anyways. And then the last piece of news we have, which was uh, kind of a surprise for me, though I guess it's been like rumor mongered uh, for a while, is that Moon Studios, the developers behind the Ori, uh, Will the Wisps, and Ori and the Blind Forest games, is making an action RPG. And they're publishing, or they're partnering with publishing label Private Division, who did The Outer Worlds and... Uh, Ancestors, Humankind, Odyssey, or whatever that other one was called, Kerbal Space Program. So just the idea, I've played both Ori games and they've got some fantastic art and amazing music. So if you're telling me that they're making an action RPG, like I am on board. Like I don't even need to see a screenshot or promotional piece of artwork. Like I, I want to see what this is. Obviously it'll probably be a while before this resurfaces, but it's cool to know that they've got something in the pipeline. I remember yeah, being so... like really, really enthusiastic about Ori to the point of like, hey, I'm going to buy an Xbox for this, which I, obviously that's not why I bought an Xbox, but it was like it did factor in. And then I still haven't finished the second one. Like I, I was ranting and raving saying this is one of the best platforms I've ever played. And uh, yeah, just just never got around to it. There's a so lot a of couple of months ago. A couple of months ago, um, I think Eurogamer spotted originally job listings on Moon Studios' you know career website, which basically said or confirmed that they're making an action RPG. Um, so that was sort of the first inkling of that, even though it wasn't officially announced, even though it was you know properly placed on their jobs website. But this press release that Private Division sent out is basically the formal confirmation, like, hey. Moon Studios is making an action RPG and Private Division is the studio publishing it. Private Division is, like you said, it's basically the Take-Two relatively new publishing label that Take-Two has for their smaller scale, indie scale projects uh, like The Outer Worlds. Even though I forget, I forget if they indie. actually use, I forget if they actually use the terminology like AA, but that's pretty much what they are. Some people would argue AA doesn't exist, but in that vast gap between AAA blockbuster and indie. That's the space they occupy. So that's kind of where I would place the Ori games. So that just, uh, that all jives. Yeah, so, so we, we don't know anything it. else about this game other than it's an RPG and it's published by Private Division. Uh, I thought we saw something uh, from one of the developers that gave a little bit of here. The goal is to take everything we learned in the last decade from making Ori and craft an action RPG that'll set all new standards. Anyone that has love for games, Zelda, Souls, Diablo, should get a kick out of what we're doing next. Now, it's hard to know whether that's just <laughs> like, well, we'll just write these coattails. We'll, we'll just they say, you know, it's going to be somewhat like these other three games that are well-regarded. 
So that's what our game that's is. You can you can mix Zelda, Diablo, and Dark Souls into a pot and with a variety of ways. So <laughs> hard to imagine how that what that actually means. But yeah, like Ori. I, I mentioned the art and the music, but I guess I want to stick on the music. I hope they have the same composer working on it because he just did incredible work. And you can make a really emotional game if it's in the same vein as Ori. Or it might be something completely different because, like you said, we don't know diddly about it. So we'll see. Didn't they say... Uh, I saw this briefly on Google like before just searching. So, you know, you get uh, like recommended articles. Didn't they say... like? That there's not going to be an Ori, a third Ori game now. Like I, I don't they're know. Not, yeah, no. They're not. They're not working on it, and Ori is owned by Microsoft. So basically, it's not in development. And if they do make it, it could be under another studio, or they could yeah. come back to it. That's. I guess that's the same See, as any other IP owned by a platform holder that's no longer being worked on. I sound disappointed, but like I say, I, I still haven't finished the second one, so I guess it's sort of like a, uh, in like knowing that other people like it and they're being shamed. Yeah, well, I'm I'm okay in general with the idea of made two well-regarded games. Let's work on something different. We don't we don't need to turn every studio's best or most beloved game into just like a hamster wheel that that's all they're allowed to do ever. You know, that's you know, I, how do I word this? I'm I'm glad that but we we can just let that be a, a nice duology of games and then let's let's have them work on something new. We don't have to have every franchise just go into perpetuity and then just keep going and going and going until it no longer has any like uh, a vision or you know creativity behind it anymore. Assassin's Creed. Well, <laughs> well, at least that they're kind of changing up the formula, or at least they did. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I guess. I, I guess I, I sort of feel like it's kind of like they're ending the series on their own terms. They're not just going to keep going and going until it's no longer wanted. Kind of like when you, when you uh, retire on your own terms from like a sports league, you don't just play until your arms fall off or whatever. But anyways, that really covers it for the news this week. Very light, especially compared to last week. So quite the juxtaposition of having everything to talk about to, to a couple of indie titles to talk about and a few uh, little smaller August releases. And even then, they're like betas and early access games or Game Pass releases. So kind of a, a weird time of the summer. But as I mentioned at the top, we might we might have a state of play and another Microsoft showing that just turns it around again before the end of the month. We just really don't know. Well, we do know that there is going to be a Microsoft thing this month. We just don't know when. Right. So we do have the grounded early access impressions that George put up on the website. Uh, we also have Adam's review for other side. We will eventually get reviews for Fate Tactics and Hellpoint at some point. We do have the YouTube video on Fate Tactics as well as a growing playlist of games that we've just put up little gameplay demos while, or gameplay sessions while just discussing uh, what we see, what we like, and our impressions of them. And that's under our casual casual mode playlist on our YouTube channel. You can always visit us on our website, rpgsite.net. Uh, you can go to our Discord by clicking the Discord link at the top of the homepage. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at rpgsite or on Facebook at rpgsite.net. And we will probably put up another casual mode video at some point this week. 
And outside of that, we will be back next week for another podcast. Until then, take care. Later.